And we've started. Um, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Empathic Futures Lab, our Sunday conversations, our fireside chats, though this one's not recorded on a Sunday. Um, anyway, Empathic Futures Lab, the show about designing human-focused futures for the environments we live in. I'm Chris. I'm Christian. Um, and today we will be discussing uh, sort of standardization, mass customization, and uh, the, the pasts and futures of these ideas and uh, how we think they're going to play into uh, empathic futures. Um, All right. All right. So I suppose a, a good place to start would just be to sort of talk about our understanding of, or at least a quick overview of what this is and and, and where we're, what we mean by this, and maybe we'll go into uh, sort of a history of this next and then get on with the future of it. Um, so we're looking at, uh, well, I think it's important to note that in, at least in architecture and I'm sure other many other design uh, communities, there's a lot of lot to do with standards, um, whether that's like standard material sizes, uh, standards in, in terms of construction techniques, standards in terms of coding and zoning, uh, just various bits of information that um, make it easy to translate across different projects. Um, and then don't even, change very often. Right, don't change very often. If they do, it's minimal, you know. Um, whether that's uh, like you can kind of estimate a door to be three feet or guardrails are meant to be 42 inches tall um, things of that nature or, or thicknesses of drywall or nominal sizes of studs you know that sort of thing um, and I think when we're looking at mass customization we're talking about uh, this idea that in the future with especially like ideas at least at this point to discuss being 3D printing, or CNC milling, or um, I don't know what else you have, like uh, vacuum forms, things of that nature where you can rapidly produce the same thing over and over again, um, where customization's a lot easier, you don't need to create molds and manufacture like uh, economies of scale quite as much because the CNC will take care of that custom shape or the 3D printer will take care of that custom shape at a lot cheaper of a discount than customization might have been in the past. Uh, anything yeah. you want to add to that? Um, well, yes, I think so. I guess when, I guess even moving beyond um, just being able to mass produce, you know, different numbers of molds or, you know, using the 3D printer or the CNC, which probably isn't, CNC kind of sucks, but because <laughs> it weighs so much material. But like, I think one, another thing even beyond that, when we're looking at mass customization is um, materials that uh, transform themselves uh, I think this is the technology that's um, being looked at and how these things are able to adapt uh, to different scenarios, I guess. So that's, I mean, just really, I guess, one basic thing that pushes a little bit beyond 
just um, static 3D printing. Um, let's see. In terms of standards, though, I mean that's that's kind of where we have to start, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. With with this conversation, and um, you, I think you noted it briefly. Uh, and how we approach standards in the construction industry. Um, but I think one thing was in that Night White Skies podcast, um, that the first one actually, um, and standards and how we translate information um, and just generate information in general uh, from uh, academia and how that might have the capacity to inform uh, practice. So with that said, um, they talked about a number, uh, base, basically just conceptual proposals for how you can, uh, or how that translation can happen, uh, I guess, in a better way. Um, what, what, are you, what are we talking about here? Just like trans translating standards or building standards in academia and translating that to practice and then practice, you know, sort of building a cyclical relationship between the two um, in terms of how we do things, I guess, as an architectural discourse in general. Okay. Um, I don't know where that's going necessarily. <laughs> All right. All right. I'm kind of out of it. Um, yeah, I'm sure we can. Well, we can. We'll, we'll get there. Um, but, okay, so that's one thing. That's like that's standard of information. Um, I guess maybe there's just different scales that we're looking at this yep. from. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's what, probably the. Right. I think that's where we want to take this conversation. Is is that uh, for so long it's been customization or standards and things of forms and. Uh, construction-oriented things and safety-oriented things, and, and how do we translate that to the future in terms of just, like, design experience or environment experience besides just safety or, I suppose, rules of thumb where maybe, like, the ceiling heights of my apartment should be at least eight feet uh, or nine feet plus, like, a smaller kitchen is maybe expected with, like, a soffit or something. But, you know, things that you would expect. Um, right, but where where do we have room to go beyond those expectations or mod modify those rules of thumb uh, to meet an individual's needs? I think that's that's kind of what we want where we want to go with this. Um, but I did want to touch back on uh, modernism, sort of as the root of at least in my mind some of these ideas on um, on these ideas of like the ideal or the standardization and mass production of architecture is sort of like finding the ideal sort of form or finding the ideal space or the ideal construction method um, based on this time that they lived in, which was rapidly industrializing. Um, mass production was huge, you know, and much more standard. Um, or much more standardization going on and much more exploration into that idea. Um, but I think what's really fascinating about Corbu's book, um, Towards a New Architecture, and then some of the early ideas of modernism that was not quite 
relayed relayed into high modernism um, as well, where it just I, I don't know I, th I think it kind of lost focus and became too much about facades and too much about making things all glass or rectangular, or, you know, shapey in general. It kind of lost sort of the the idealism or the the optimism of romanticism of modernism, where they talked about the the ideal life for a person and how do you open up right. like a flexible space yeah. for them and right. I mean, I think yeah, one of the things that he definitely talks about that you're getting at is this like the ideal environment for a general human. Yeah. Right? Right. Um, and so the idea that you can standardize all of everything basically in an environment. You can just break it down to five components and then that's your perfect environment for living in. Right. Because uh, you have some ideal person that you think everyone needs or ought to be or is or deep down right. they are this in, ideal person. Right. And if if postmodernism taught us anything, it's, it speaks to a lot of the variations um, of the, the, the complexity of the world and that we can't uh, just take standards for granted and generalize everything. Right. We have to we have to be cognizant of what's being standardized and um, move forward in right. an intelligent way, in a curatorial way, more so than just blanketing. You know. Right. I. I heard, throw columns down and last walls right, and you're good to go. It's like it, it's it's so flexible that it's designed for no one, right? right. Um, to a certain extent, and I guess the open open concept kitchen, you know, coming out of that, sure, it, it's really nice and everyone loves it, but yeah, it, to a certain extent, it's so open and so flexible that's kind of designed for no one, and it, it works. But is there a next level to that where it's flexible to the point where it's designed for everyone? Um, so I think while that idea of finding the ideal for someone or the ideal person to design for and, and trying to use the technology of the time is like this really fantastic idea, this really great romantic idea that I really appreciate sort of the thinking behind it, but it kind of got lost in the technological limitations of the time where it was all about mass production um, and, and, and replaceable parts, you know, and, and assembly line nature of things. You, know, you look back at the what Corbu was basing his designs off of with cruise ships and corn silos and all these uh, industrial things. But maybe now it's time to revisit those ideas, right? And this is the conversation we've had in the past, it's like it's time to maybe it's time to revisit those ideas of finding the ideal space or the ideal architecture for someone. It's just not for the ideal someone. It's for everyone as their own ideal. Everyone is their own individual ideal space for them. Right. Uh, so I think that's kind of long-winded explanation to uh, where we're trying to go with this conversation. And bring back this. Um, bring back this uh, idealism almost, without being utopian, I suppose. Um, well, I, I guess I have, I have a question here. Uh -huh. um, if, if we take Corbu's like five points or whatever yeah. that describe 
the perfect living environment. I don't know exactly what it's supposed to describe. Well, it's, um, it's five points of architecture. It's okay. To it's, it's, it's an, an ideal architecture. Okay. All right. If we if we take it if we take that as um, the base the standard by which architects should work, and so that's working at the scale of a building, right? Mm -hmm. um, and today, I guess we have to ask ourselves the question: um, even even let's say that even if those are right, they're still not at the scale of a person. Like they're not they're not at the scale of an interaction uh, between a person and a space. Um, and uh, so I think they are. It's just well, I think it, it calls for an even my more minute scale of standardization. Okay. Like a rules, rules of thumb that we can work by, um, that I don't, they've maybe been developed. If you look at sort of these, um, like the human scale stuff, like that's been developed that to people's form. Um, but uh, the psychological realm, uh, environment, I guess, in the digital environment, um, have been severe. I think severely unexplored. Uh, I guess so. All that to say is, it seems like there's a scale that has just not been, you know, utilized at all. I guess I um, that might be the opportunity. Well, I wonder if that's. Well, uh, yeah, I think you're right that there's an opportunity there. I wonder if it's. Not so much that it's not being explored, it's just not, well, yeah, it's not being explored to the extent that maybe architects and other people involved in space design aren't really touching these things, right? Because you, you do have, you do have technology touching the scale of a person um, in terms of like wearables, right? Fitbit, uh, some of these, some of these microprocessors right. like Lilypad for DIYers who want to sew it into their clothes, uh, fashion designers sewing things in their clothes, right? Google came up with that leather jacket I'm, with I'm, Levi that had sensors sewn into it. But I'm talking like a manifesto and then some sort of standards coming out of that uh -huh. uh, that define how we work at this really intimate scale where everything is adaptable to you. Because it seems like everything that happens, is it just sort of appears as an installation at some school exhibit. Yeah, and then and then never goes anywhere beyond that, never and everyone kind of does the same thing. Yeah, but no one sat down and like defined how we're supposed to work at this scale. No one's maybe made I'm just missing it. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess to a certain extent, how do you define how someone's supposed to work at a scale, right? I don't know. It seems like there haven't been outside of like what Patrick Schumacher a whole lot of manifestos recently. Uh, yeah. For maybe that's just because no one bothers to write them. Maybe it's because we're at a time where it's like super super complex, where you don't want to write a manifesto. I don't know. Maybe we just write a manifesto and see if it actually works out. Whether it makes sense to write manifestos anymore. Um, but I guess what I'm looking at is if we're talking about all this super mass customization. Um, for everyone, does it make sense to even define how to work it? Or is it supposed to just kind of evolve our time with these rules that you're talking about? How do we, can we just say? Well, that? I think I think that you have to, 
you have to have some sort of intent, and then you start figuring out these rules. Mm-hmm. So one thing I think that comes up fairly often in our conversations is being able to, to being able to understand as a person what is digital and what is, what is physical. And so if we if we say that's a first principle that when you're designing these you know hybrid spaces that they're differentiated in some way that you can understand that as a person I think that's part of a standard that we that just don't have yet if um, we go through an intense study like the sleep study or whatever and learn something you know, nuanced about how people perceive their environments while they're sleeping, mm-hmm. you know, which is mostly through sound and probably um, heat. Um, and that, right. you know, once it gets over a th- certain threshold, then um, uh, then people are more likely to wake up or whatever. Okay. And then you develop that threshold, uh, you know, that becomes a standard and something that architects have just not done. Okay. So, I mean... Not, not to, not to like kind of bash on what you're saying, I guess, but I think it's kind of funny that you're talking about standards when we were just earlier talking about kind of the customization of, of standards of how we operate, right? So, I guess in the future, then what do we, what do we think of as standards, right? Because you had just mentioned once you get above a certain threshold, that becomes a standard of when you wake up, right? But isn't to a certain extent that what we're trying to fight against or even maybe not fight against, but discuss the relevance of um, that. So how do, how do you say, how do you standardize uh, this, this sort of movement or this sort of idea or a conversation that's inherently non-standard? Well, I feel like we have to come up with something more meta than, well, I think, meta I think, I think, I don't know if this is a direct answer, but I think, one thing that people are very touchy about is their personal representation or expression, mm-hmm. right? So their personality mm-hmm. um, versus things that are inherently human, you know, that can sort of be worked out, I guess. Okay. And so, like, let's take you're training the thermostat or whatever, this idea of sleeping. You're training the thermostat so that you know, you don't want to wake up early and you can base this on your sleep tracker device or whatever. Uh-huh. But the, the thermostat is set at a specific place to start and then over time it gets trained. So it's it's set to some sort of standard. Uh-huh. But over time you train that to a point where it matches you, I guess. Well, okay. But is that center standard like a global standard or do you as an individual set that standard initially and then it sort of operates or optimizes within a few degrees right like if the, I, the overall standard is 70 degrees but you just would but you already know your base point is somewhere around 65 right i mean if you know that going into it that's fine but the the point is that you're using expertise and research to find these standards in the first place mm-hmm. um and okay. so if you if you have knowledge that can override that you know whatever go for it but I don't know. Uh, I guess what I'm getting at here is, um, I think, you know, you're talking about training and uh, how do you train this thing over time, right? It's like kind of a machine learning concept of 
of using 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 a training set to learn learn where the right answer or quote unquote right answer lies or the most highest probably closest answer closest answer yeah lies. Um, but I think if we're going to talk about first principles, the standard is not that's important is not that whether the base points at 80 degrees or whether you like the automatic base points at 80 degrees and you manually set that to 67 or whatever if you know that you're going to be closer to that than 80. Um, I think the the bigger standard is more important standard is that like the meta standard behind that like how do you how do you define the design to the extent that what's okay like you were talking about people being more okay with something that's inherently human versus something that's more machine oriented but um yeah how do you how do you start to define that uh what are these principles regard defining customization to that extent um because okay so if we continue all right i'll let you go well i guess i was just going to say if we're going to we're going to delve into that it's super data intensive and uh, right and it's like it, it invades your privacy to the extent it's collecting your information like is there something there that we look into is there something like how do you how do you design this thing that will design for you so i guess one thing like you're saying you have to go into it knowing what um, what it means to be disturbed while you're sleeping right um, in the case in the case of this example um, you have to um, define and understand how people are perceiving heat in their space sound in their space um, I guess I guess maybe I'm missing the question here yeah because I think, I think there's like two levels of this right there's the level where you set this up and it's constantly sensing what you're constantly sensing what you're sensing or, or constantly sensing what's going on in your environment constantly measuring things that are going on in your environment um, and then there's the level where uh, where it's like the step back from that it's like how how do I say this? Like how do you how do you design something that customizes for someone? Right? It's like, do you want them to constantly be at the ideal? Do you constantly want to take? How do you anonymize this data? Or how do you? It's, what governs the rules of customization? I thought that I kind of figured that's where you were going in the first place with this um, first principles of design, right? Right. Yeah, I think that's something that'll be really interesting to, to think about. Because as we're customizing this, to a certain extent, we as designers, if we're going the route that we we're just talking about, where we set up, it's almost like a de facto experiment in your room to measure your sleep studies and sort of letting that design your environment in the future, whatever that means, whether that's waking you up at a certain time or... Uh, I don't know, modifying the temperature for you so that it matches what makes you most comfortable while you sleep. Um, that's sort of designing for you, right? So as a designer, you're designing that thing. It's like, you know, the whole black box algorithm discussion. Right. Um, so, I don't know, I guess this, idea, this, this conversation on 
customization is turned into a discussion on artificial intelligence or machine learning in a sense. Um, I mean, it has to. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, so that's something that neither of us have any expertise in. So I think it's a little bit difficult to get into um, how you write the rules, right? That's essentially what you're asking. Yeah, okay. I guess I guess it's difficult to the extent that we can't literally write the rules because we don't know enough coding. Right. Um, but we, I think it's worthwhile if we're going to discuss mass customization to a discuss what hypothetically those rules will be. Just because if we're designing this for space, we are the experts on space, so we should be the ones sort of governing the rules that govern space. Uh, and the second one, I think, is just like, the second thing we want to discuss, I think, is um, as we're mass customizing, like, what, what, to what extent do we need to customize someone's environment for them? Because I think there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of value to be gained there, but that's such a vague statement for me. Because I'm just kind of basing that off of seeing, like, you know, someone's Spotify playlist, or or looking at Uber or Lyft, where you can call a uh, call a car on demand, and I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. Uh, that's kind of customized to my needs at a certain point at a certain location in time. So, mm -hmm. like, can I do that with my spaces? Can I customize my spaces? It builds off that smart home conversation we had a couple weeks ago. Um, sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think we have to sort of, we should probably just do a comparative study. Let's take your example. Um, let's take an example of something that, let's do it as a thought exercise. Take an example of something that is or can be mass customized. What principles that's built on and see if, um, the method that those were achieved by, if any of that translates to sleeping, you know, maintaining sleep at night, which we are neither doctor, doctors nor, you know, programmers. Yeah. So, it, you know, figuring those out might be, I guess, difficult, but if we can come up with something from that. So, like, you mentioned Uber or Netflix is a good one. Um so Netflix builds a feed, right, based on what you've watched on Netflix only. Yeah. Um, and so it only has access to Netflix, we think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we think. Yeah. One, of the, one of the things that bothers me is, like, I'll watch stuff on Netflix when I'm just blowing off steam. Mm -hmm. And a lot of – and so my Netflix – Speed looks really different from other stuff that I'm actually in, more interested in, in terms of watching. Uh, and so I get a lot of suggestions that I don't really care to watch, because uh, what I'm watching on Netflix is very specific um, as, as sort of just a relaxation thing, whereas I would enjoy Netflix to give me um, things that... Uh, maybe more documentaries or something that would be a little bit more intellectual than what it gives me from what I usually watch on the, um, on the application. Mm -hmm. With that said, you know, it's, it's, it's basing 
it sort of bases this on what I have done. Um, and so then it assumes that I'll continue along that same path, even though I don't want to. Um, so I guess what is the principle? I mean, it's just preference, right? That's it. Yeah. yeah. It's assumed preference. Yeah. Um, with a manual override, but more or less it recommends things to you. Right. With an assumed in, in preference. In terms of its you know, understanding of building experience for you that is customized to you, even though it's, for me, it's trash. Yeah. Amazon usually does a better job of having suggestions, honestly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's based on, it's all based on preference, but I don't know, in terms of mass customization, how do you, how do you mass customize beyond preference but shouldn't everything else just be standardized yeah maybe i mean i think that's right that's the important question if we're designing designing an environment with mass customization it's oh, what gets customized what doesn't get customized and then maybe you have a point maybe it's maybe if it doesn't if it's not based on preference it should just be standard um I mean, some of it maybe comes down to functional things too, like uh, sunlight or things to maximize airflow through a house or uh, when you need it in certain spaces. Um, it, it, I guess it comes down to where where do you define how do you define the value of these things, or where do you where do you define the value of these things? Um, right, and that's probably different for it's obviously different for different people. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So I wonder if you have like, well. I, <laughs> Yeah, well, that's where it gets tricky. If that's different for different people, then everything's different for everyone, right? So how yeah. do you how do you even establish that baseline? How do you even establish? Uh, well, I wonder if you take an exam or something, or you you do like this. You okay? It's let's, like an eye. Let's get a little dystopic here, okay? Just let, let's just go through this. So, um, you you are born. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and slowly, point. you know, slowly over time, uh, you know, for those for those people that are born now are always being recorded and their preferences are being stored, you know, since the day they were born, basically. Yeah. Uh, and once you turn 18, um, you get a document that tells you what all your preferences are or understood to be. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's a test or something. I don't know. It's like your voter. It's like what you have to do it to register to vote or something. I don't know. Make it harder. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> but uh, that's that's probably a terrible. Idea. Anyway, but it it sort of goes through and tells you what all your preferences are, and it understands like this person's particularly picky. Like they have a very uh, they're very opinionated, and they're even odd a lot of the a lot of the time. Like sixty percent of the time. They're different from other people and like, yeah. you know, all these different categories. Um, this is really weird. Um, and then, and then at that time when you get that, you have the opportunity to start augmenting it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because up until that time, it's just been learning about you. And once you turn 18, supposedly you're an adult, even though these things will change. But at that point you have the ability to, um, access it and, and augment it the way, the way that you need to. 
And otherwise, you just let everything sort of jump out to standard uh, that isn't part of your preferences already or isn't something that you feel the need to augment. Now, granted, this would probably be a month-long process for each person. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if there's a way to you know speed that up, I'm, I'm sure there could be. But having access to that information, I think, would be really important. And that's something we don't have right now. Yeah. Well, that's really... Like, I can continue to tell Netflix I want to watch documentaries, but it's probably not going to get it until I've manually clicked through 150 of them. Right. It makes tell, it... And without even, you know... It makes it very hard to change preferences. Yeah. Right? Like some people go through some event or mature quickly at some point or or right. study a... Find something that they didn't know they liked and all of a sudden they do it and... How do you change preferences so fast? So Right. And so if you've trained it a certain way for a while, that's the case. But if you just look up something on the internet, you'll get an ad on Facebook on from Amazon about it in yeah. under ten minutes. Yeah. Well maybe it's maybe it's it much less drastic than just like doing this all automatically. Maybe it's just a host of options. Right? Yeah. It's like hey Google, I wanna make my house uh, more more spacious for this event and your walls change. Um, sure. And, you know, that sort of idea of spacious doesn't necessarily have to be something you define, but it could be something that's derivative. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe it's a little of both yeah. custom and manual um, or automatic is, and manual. Which is fair. But I think if, if it sort of collects a bunch of information about you and everyone else, then it can easily build standards, right? And it can easily build a portrait of yourself um, and so where yourself is less inclined to care about a particular thing then the standard applies when you are more inclined to care about something then your preference um, applies but okay. on the other hand maybe the world shouldn't be built around your preferences all the time yeah and this is something we've discussed um, maybe what has to happen is that you're also challenged um, and by opting into this system, uh, you accept X degree of challenge to your preference on any given thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and do we, so cool preference system thing, I don't know, mass, mass customization, um, is weird. <laughs> well, okay, that was right. one thing. Good, good conclusion. What? <laughs> Nothing. Go, what's your next thought? Do you, do you see a difference between mass customization and mass individualization? Um, no. Not off the top of my head. I mean, I think you're customizing everything to an individual, so it's individualization. I don't know. I mean, are you, are you, maybe individualization has a little bit more to do with identity of the person but yeah that's what that's sort of what i was getting at but at the same time like you're customizing it for someone's identity so maybe it's it's a word choice but I, okay. to a certain extent i wonder if it's just semantics I, i'm not really sure yeah, i don't know if there's if there's much to that um yeah so i guess what i think or where we go next with this is, um, what I want to bring up is is that 
up until this point, it seems like a lot of the discussion uh, is on mass customization, and we kind of brought this up initially as mass customization, mass individualization, whatever. There's been a lot on on construction um, right. or active making, right? There's the Karen Timberlake book. What is it like refabricating architecture? Fabricating architecture? I can never remember. Re. Uh, refabricating. Okay. Then there's that. Uh, you know, like shops doing their whole like what is it that like Atlantic Yards thing? There's I think some stuff going on in Michigan, uh, where they're doing like pop up houses or some guys doing pop up houses. Um, so yeah, I, I, but our our whole discussion and was on uh, was on not construction. It was kind of on the coding side to a certain extent or the technological side, um, the human side. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I guess where I'm going with this is, I'm kind of hoping that that this sort of mess. I don't know. How, what's where do we where do we go with that? Because I think what's holding back this this conversation of human mass or mass individualization individualization maybe we say is more human related. Uh, what's holding it back from the mass customization, which might be more fabrication oriented, right? Is it just this conversation that we're having where we're like lacking an idea of where to even start with that? Or is is it sort of cost related? Is it sort of just people are unwilling to engage this at this point in a professional level? Or, or clients are unwilling to touch this or don't know to touch this? I'm wondering how to work. I mean, no one's proven value, right? So, like, if you if you take architecture as an example, and you start at Corbu, which says every building should have these five things, yeah, and then you jump to refabricating, we'll say, and which brings is what twenty years old or something ridiculous, at least. Oh, um, maybe it's only it ten. So. I, I can't remember. remember. No way, it's twenty. Maybe it, it might be two thousand four. Maybe it's 13. So I, I think it ended in a 4, so I was thinking 94, but it might be 2004. Either way. 2003, wow, you're right. No, I was close. Okay. Um, so it's 14 years. Either way. Um, so if we jump if we jump from that, so that's the scale of like all environments should be like this. Yep. Great. <laughs> um, then we jump to refabricating, which says, you know, you can do architecture better and more customized, whatever that means, you know, it's it works better for the program that it's supposed to surround. Um, and program usually means like a group of people, but not always. Um, and so that's so that's at a smaller scale. And then this idea of mass individualization, I think, is at the smallest scale in which we can think to work right now. Yeah. Um, which is at the person interaction, the personal um, level. Yeah, not the, not even. And so, like, there's a lot of. I think you mentioned this earlier. Like, there's a lot of money to be made when you do all buildings the same. When you, every building's the same. Yeah. Money to be made when you do, when you're able to devise a system in which you can um, build efficiently. Um, but in a mass customized way, I guess. But is there money to be made in this idea of mass individualization? I think yes, obviously. 
because you can just bombard people with advertisements all day long directly. You get right, you get right in front of their eyes. Like that's, that's the best way to make money in my mind. But <laughs> you just throw all your Coca-Cola ads and crap oh, right in front of them. There's got to be um, more than that. So not that we figured I mean, it out, but there's got to be more than that. What do you mean? Like, just, why hasn't it happened? No, there's got to be more value in it than just ads. But continue, well, continue with your thought. Um, well, I mean, the the technology just hasn't it just hasn't matured enough, right? This would be like it'll happen. It just has to get there. And like Google Glass tried it, and they got kind of shot down. I guess um, people weren't too excited about it, but. <laughs> It seems kind of inevitable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, mean, I guess it could just be technology's not caught up yet, I, I suppose. Um, it's not easy to make moving walls. It's We don't have smart homes that do more than act as double as speakers. But, right. But 4K TVs now are $250 at Walmart. So it's so only there's a matter hope. of time. <laughs> what? So there's hope. Yeah. Follow the TV market. No, yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe it's not ready yet to be done, but I, I feel like, to a certain extent, even at the installation level, it's just not happening yet. I wonder. I don't know. I don't. I hate to just like bash architects or bash designers, but I feel like to a certain extent, there's just not enough exploration of this in, in a multidisciplinary way, and that's probably just me spouting out my butt. Because I haven't, I haven't heard this from anyone else, or maybe I just haven't seen it and it's happening. But I don't know. Well, I think I think you make a good point about installations. And when I think about architectural installations that are interactive in a way, they're only interactive as far as the designer um, wants them to be, right? Yeah. They don't take on this life of their own in which they're actually interactive with the person and responding to them in a way that wasn't pre-programmed. Yeah. Um, can we move past that? I think that's kind of what... Maybe we should have a discussion about this next time. That, that, that AI article I wrote, we're probably not prepared to have that discussion, but it's such a good article. Uh, we can link to it in the show yeah. notes. But yeah, I, I mean, it's talking about designing, talking about how the machine learns new things or like programming a machine to program itself. Right. It's kind of a scary concept. And explain itself, but also also explain itself. Yeah. I, I think it would be so fun to listen to work with someone and like try to design a space that way. It would be so cool. Um, hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we're at 43 minutes. Um, oh, goodness. <laughs> do we want to – do you have any takeaways from this discussion? I think it's, we might as well just wrap it up. I think we're losing steam a little bit. Um, takeaways, yeah. Takeaways. Um, that what preferences versus standards, right? Yeah. There's a there's a tug of war, and there is. I think, I think what we'll see, like people are willing to give up their data. People will be willing to to give on some of their preferences when they're inundated with the amount that they actually have to account for in their day-to-day -day in the future. Uh -huh. Meaning that standards become even more important, but they also understand their preferences even better and it creates a better sense of identity. Okay. 
Um, no, I think that's. Takeaway. I think that's that's a good takeaway. <laughs> I was gonna say something, but completely lost my train of thought and all that because I'm trying to think right. of my own takeaway. No, I'm distracting myself. Um, takeaway for me. I think. I guess my takeaway to this is that not that I didn't know this before, but we're still just so far from finding value in this. And and I think the big question is, where do we even start? Uh, that might be the best place to start, is figure out where to start. Like, if we design this meta, this meta design problem, how do we design this thing that designs for us to a certain extent? Mm -hmm. And then once we start to answer that question, I think, I think we'll start to figure out where the value lies. Um, Okay, really quick, um, yes or no answer. Do you think the sleep survey thing that we're doing right now can help answer that question? If we frame the question well enough to answer what we're doing. I don't know. To me, that's more proof of concept, that we can okay. measure something and analyze it and just kind of... Okay, so maybe once we get to that point, we try to put it to the test. Yeah. Maybe we do that. All right. Well, maybe we should wrap up, too. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Keep dragging right. this out. No, it's fine. Um, do we want to try and come up with a topic for next time, or we just kind of want to leave that as a surprise? Do you have anything you want to talk about in particular? Um, I think we kind of want to continue down this route a little bit. Okay. Honestly. I think I think there's some stuff left open that we need to talk about. Um, and so this AI thing, um, I guess taming, how do we tame the lion? Tame the lion. Yeah. What, okay. what sort of roles do we need to put on it in order to, let's, let's take a stab at answering this. How do we design autonomous systems question? Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. All right. That'll be <laughs> well, that's why we're not here, that, right? We're just not gonna, that this one wasn't hard enough already. Uh, we'll just have a chat. Let's see what it right. goes. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.